0: Amen. Hey, uh, just to recap, once again, we're on the exciting topic of intro to apologetics. That's right, John. You can read. Give it up for John. He's also wearing blue. Look at that. He's wearing his faith shirt. Why that's good. No, you're a man of faith, obviously by that shirt, but uh, we'll just move on. Uh, But anyway, we won't go there. My intro to apologetics. Uh, And once again, as you turn there to uh, page 91 as we get ready to do our recap, once again, we're dealing with these skeptical questions and people, they believe it or not, doubt God's existence. And we took a look at that. Everything's got a beginning, which implies a beginner, i.e. God. Everything's got a design, i.e. a designer, i.e. God. What about evolution? Well, that's a bunch of baloney with all due respect. We dealt with that for many, many, many weeks. Uh, Word, this moral uh, universe? universal law come from? Unless a universal moral lawgiver, i.e. God, uh, gave it to us. Uh, what about the Bible? Did that really come from man? No, it came from God. We dealt with that in great detail. What about suffering? They attack God's character. If God's really loving and all that stuff, why is there, yeah, we dealt with that. And then they start to attack Jesus. Is he really the son of God? Why is that a big issue? We dealt with that uh, repeatedly. Then we finally saw, and that's where we're at now, did Jesus really rise from the dead, right? So they can't deny God's existence if you deal with it intellectually. Honestly, you Can't deny the authority and the veracity of the scripture. Uh, It doesn't work when you try to attack the character of God or even Jesus himself. So they go after the crux of everything that we believe in and that's the resurrection now on page 91 we saw that the Bible's very replete that hello jesus really did rise from the dead we're not making this up this isn't just some blank that tom had on his membership class that he just had to fill with some random question that you need to check off correctly no the resurrection of jesus christ is all over the scripture and it's very important as we saw but again the skeptics say well how do you know and so we started to take a look at the evidence and you look at the historical evidence between pentecost Okay, uh, and 50 days later, uh, after when the church w- uh, later was born at Pentecost, uh, man, something drastically happened. Okay, in 50 days, right, from when Jesus died on the cross to the birth of the church, something happened. Well, that was the resurrection. But people, that's still not good enough. They come up with all kinds of whacked out, crazy excuses. We already saw that one uh, a theory is that well, maybe Jesus escaped from the tomb really, he really didn't die, they say, but he swooned, or, you know, and the coldness of the tomb uh, woke him up. No, I don't think so. As we clearly saw, Jesus was flogged, he was struck, he was nailed to a cross, okay, he was not going to be uh, fainting, he was dead, and we know that even medically according to the scripture, as well as known medical science. Then we saw that people said, well, no, 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 maybe Jesus' body was removed by his enemies, which is ridiculous, because that makes no sense whatsoever, right, because these people did not want Christianity, let alone Jesus uh, uh, and his name, and uh, going forward, so why in the world would they steal his body and help it out? It's ridiculous. Okay. Then they would say, well, no, no, no. Maybe his disciples stole his body, which is crazy because the scripture accounts that these guys were chicken livers, right? They were going to go past the Roman guards and do all this stuff. Are you crazy? They were in no shape to do that. Plus, if they wanted to take the easy way out, okay, they would have said it was a spiritual resurrection, you know, just spiritualize the whole thing. And so they don't have to worry about a physical body. But no, they stuck uh, to the physical account. Then we saw where we left off last time. No, no, no. Maybe the ladies went to the wrong tomb. And as we left off there last time, guys, as we all know, ladies always forget immediately everything that we do. (laughs) No. (laughs) And they certainly aren't going to forget where something this important happened, i.e., where Jesus' body uh, was laid in the tomb, okay? And that's what we saw there. Now, 101, part two, did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's where we're at. Chapter 12, and here's what we start off with. I say this quote is from Sir Lionel Luckhu. How many guys right now are very glad for your last name? (laughs) Because it could have been this, right? But anyway, or it could have been Crone. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Sir Lionel Luck, the world's most successful attorney, according to the Guinness World Book of Records. How many guys have always dreamed of getting in there? You know you're out there, you chicken livers. But uh, being like the apostles before the resurrection. But anyway, that's right. Uh, Okay, anyway, he says this. I, I say unequivocally, he says, now listen, who's this guy? He's got a little bit of clout, Right? That's the whole point here world's most successful attorney now why is that important because you're supposed to deal with the facts right you look at the facts you deal with it and that's how it's supposed to work anyway right here's what he says I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels the acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt so what's he basically saying if you're honest with the facts right? Even in a legal court of law, you absolutely cannot doubt that the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened was a literal event, right? Isn't that what he's saying? This is an attorney, right? This is the most successful attorney. In fact, we saw before, he's not the only one. Many people have approached the scripture and certainly they want to deny the miracles and certainly the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? But once they get in there and they deal with it honestly, and that's the key issue, and that's what we're dealing with here, We're taking a look at all these claims, and it's like, listen, if you're honest, you can't maintain that. You can't believe that the ladies would forget. You can't believe that the disciples would sneak past. That's crazy, right? Let's be honest here. But if you're honest with it, even from a legal sense, this is the most verified event in human history. We've talked about this before. Let me share it again since we're talking about Mr. Luck, who? Okay, the attorney, Simon Greenleaf. Remember him? That's what he attempted to do. Now, background knowledge. He was an agnostic. Some saying atheists atheist who believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was either a hoax or a myth. And uh, so he was the principal founder of Harvard Law School, a renowned world expert on evidence. Uh, He was at the top of his profession, respected around the world as a brilliant legal mind, and literally people have considered him to be the greatest legal mind that ever lived. Right Now, he was so good at law and evidence and determined the facts about something based upon the evidence that he wrote a legal textbook called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence and is considered one of the greatest law books ever written in the history of mankind. So how many guys would say this guy's got a little bit of clout? Just a little bit, okay? Right. Now, one day, he was challenged by his students because he always had a phrase that he said, right? When they would say, oh, that can't be true, or whatever, he would always say, have you considered the evidence? Right? And they would bring up an issue and they would he, he, they'd say, oh, I don't know if that can be, a, have you considered the evidence, right? Because this is the evidence master, right? Well, he used to doubt and he used to mock the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Christianity. And so one of his students listened, challenged him, oh, excuse me, have you considered the evidence? Right, And so, obviously, he got convicted, so he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but ended up concluding that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was fact, not fiction. Uh, being a man of conviction and reason in accordance with his conclusion, in other words, he's being intellectually honest with the facts. He has to. This is the world's expert. He concluded uh, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was true, and he became a Christian. In fact, then he turned around and he wrote another book called the Examination of the Testimony, uh, Testimony of the Four Evangelists, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the Rules of Evidence Administered in the Course of Justice. In other words, he took the same legal process that we do to determine facts in court of law. This is the world experts. He applied it to the evidence that's recorded for us on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the four Gospels and wrote a book about it and says, here it is. How in the world could you doubt this? Now, how many guys would say that's another one of God's ways of taking somebody he started out being a skeptic and went, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, right? In Jesus' name, right? right. Now, uh, and he wrote, quote, it is impossible. The greatest legal mind possibly ever in human history, dealing with the facts, said it is impossible that the apostles could have persisted in affirming the truths that narrated about the resurrection of Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ had not actually risen from the dead. In other words, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous to sit there, if you're honest with the facts, all the facts, There's no way you could doubt this, okay? But, once again, that's not good enough. And dare I say, I used to be one of these people, people are intellectually honest. How many people do you know sit there and say, oh, the Bible can't be true. It's a book whooped up a man. The Bible's so full of contradictions, I can't believe you even read the thing. But they never even read it. They've never even read it. Or maybe a passage. Does that make you an expert on it? And even if you did read it once, does that make you an expert on it? No. So how could you make that authoritative statement, right? So who's being intellectually dishonest? But I'm telling you, it's the same thing when it comes to the resurrection. And even though you got some of the the greatest minds in the world, when they deal with the facts, they get saved, and they really... Hey, listen, you got to deal with it. It happened. Whacked out theories. And we're coming to another one tonight, as you can see here, uh, from this uh, unshaven gentleman. Uh, And he says this. Believe it or not, and this one actually is popular, if you can believe this. Maybe the resurrected Jesus was really just a vision or a hallucination. That's what it was. Yeah, it was a hallucination. That's what it was. That's how we explain this whole thing. Hey, forget all this other evidence. It was a hallucination. Uh, same thing, uh, uh, believe it or not, if you, if you look at the History Channel and the people with the funky hairdos, don't be looking at my hair, Bobby. I'm talking about somebody else. 80s rule, you know it's true. Let's close in prayer. no. <laughs> Right? But if you listen to the History Channel, that's actually where they're saying some of these guys have got this ancient theory, now, the ancient theorists and all these whatever. whatever. All right? And they actually believe that this is where Moses got the Ten Commandments, the law, because he was up there doing some drugs and he was hallucinating when he came. Here. <laughs> what? Okay, but it's the same thing. Oh, oh no, this is the resurrection is a hallucination. Ugh. All right, well, fine. If you want to believe that, I'm sorry, but let's examine it, all right? Number one, it doesn't explain the empty tomb. Okay, so it's hallucination, right? Uh, if you ever, unfortunately, before you got saved, and hopefully that's the key word before, uh, and you did do things that you did hallucinate, okay, uh, fortunately, eventually, what happens? It goes away. That's right, Bobby, it goes away, Right. So guess what? So if it was a hallucination, eventually it would go away, and then guess what would still be there if you're saying it's there? The body. It doesn't explain the empty tomb. Even if it was a hallucination, where's the body? A day later, 12 hours later, 6 hours later, whatever you took to get the hallucination going, it's going to go away. Where's the body? So that's ridiculous, number one. Number two, over 500 people saw Jesus Christ at the same time over 500 in fact open your bibles 1 corinthians 15 clearly says this first corinthians 15 verses one through eight let's take a look there if you find second corinthians bobby you, you have to go left that's right man what are you an intern or something man you're cooking now top of the class top of the class right on first corinthians uh, 15 verses one through eight and uh let's take a look at what paul says he says now brothers i want to remind you of the gospel i preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believe in vain. In other words, don't budge on this. Right? He's talking about the resurrection. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to whom? To Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than how many? More than 500 of the brothers individually over 18 years it was a mass event at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep in other words or have died then he appeared to james then to all the apostles uh, and last he appeared to me also as one abnormally born is what he says there so here you have this 500 apostles at the same time right and you're going to say this is a hallucination this is ridiculous Let's flip it around. Let's let's bring it into today's vernacular. If uh, I read in the newspaper today a report, because that's what the Gospels are doing. They're reporting an event. And amongst other things, they're reporting the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in that report, they said, not only the individuals, but there was over 500 people that saw this event at the same time. If I were to say yesterday, uh, I read in the newspaper today that yesterday they reported that over here on Nellis and Lake Mead, that there was a red car and a blue car, and they had a wreck, they smashed in together, would it be logical for me to say, oh, that was a mass hallucination? That'd be ridiculous. Then why is it acceptable for you to say this about the resurrection? That's ludicrous. I, I, even secular psychologists admit that 500 people aren't going to hallucinate at the same time, let alone the same thing at the same time. Okay, typically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? In fact, uh, that's not only ludicrous, we also have even evidence outside of that uh that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And that's in historical witnesses outside shortly after the resurrection. Josephus, we saw before, he said this, and this is contemporary. Of Jesus first coming uh, And he said about this time there lived Jesus a wise man if indeed one ought to call him a man for he wrought surprising feats He was the Christ uh, Pilate condemned him to be crucified uh, Those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. Why quote on the third day? He appeared restored to life and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared even to this day that's a contemporary of Jesus Christ in his first coming. And he wasn't a Christian. He was just reporting the historical fact. In fact, uh, there's at least 42 different authors that mention Jesus outside the Bible, okay, within 150 years of his life, All right? Now contrast that with the 10 authors that mention Tiberius Caesar from 150 years of his life, who was the Roman emperor during the reign of or the Jesus' ministry, but nobody questions him, Right? It's 10 versus the 42. What? And you're going to question, it makes no sense. And that's why uh, this guy, he's a professor, Thomas Arnold. He wrote the uh, famous book, History of Rome from Oxford. How do you like that, Tom? You like that one? Like Oxford, right? If you guys, have you ever been at night and you go, man, I just wish I had something to help me get to sleep. Well, get this book, man. I'm telling you. that. No, I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> Oxford, History of Rome. Anyway, here's what he said. He said, For many years I have studied the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who've written about them. And I know of, listen to this, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort than that Christ Jesus died and rose again from the dead. No other event. Another guy, Brooke Westcott, he's an English scholar. He said, raking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better and more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying, listen, you can sit there and say it's a hallucination all you want, but that's ludicrous. There is no event recorded in the history of mankind that is better verified than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're really scraping the barrel with this hallucination thing is what he's basically saying there, okay? Now, number three, the Bible tells us that people ate with Jesus and touched him after he was resurrected. So how do you explain that with a hallucination, right? And, and some people actually want to uh, you know, attack that too. Well, it wasn't really. It, was it was like a, a spirit. It was like a ghost version of Jesus and he, he ate the fish with him and, and it was, Brian, it was so weird. Dude, you should have been there. It's like, I could see the fish going down his trachea and, it was in, and one eyeball went this way and the other one, oh! No, it was a real body. And he ate real fish. It was a resurrected body. Right? Hallucination doesn't explain. That's crazy. And number four, it does not explain what happened to a guy named Saul. Saul, as we're going to see in the remainder of the study, uh, he was just a little bit of an enemy at this time. How many guys would say, unfortunately, when you want some help, enemies usually don't help? (laughs) Yeah, so what happened to Saul? Right? In fact, it's not just Saul. You know, I look back in my own walk with Jesus. And uh, what in the world happened to Pastor Billy? Did somebody spray chicken on him? Right? It it was just, forget the juice. They went to, they threw chicken on him. It landed on him. And that's that's why he got saved. Because Pastor Billy, I hated Christians. I hated Christians. I shared, you guys know my testimony. I remember uh, my sister, Terry, the oldest sister, she's five years older than me. Uh, for years, she was the only Christian in our family. And she used to, this was pre-internet days and cell phones and all that stuff. So she'd write letters to me. I was in California. She was still in Kansas where I grew up. And she'd write letters to me and witness about Jesus and John 3:16, the blood of Jesus and all this stuff. And and uh, I remember the day when she had informed me that she became a Christian. I am not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. This is how far gone I was and how much I hated Christ. I I almost wanted to puke. I so almost still feel the sensation I had when I'm reading that letter she became a Christian. I was, like, uh, uh. it was I, I was so ashamed. I I was literally I was ashamed of my sister. I said, like, oh I can't you, you're a crone. We're smarter than that. We're much more. we were right. We're, how could you let those people bring? That's literally how I feel. I was just uh, uh. and so I proceeded to torment her. Any chance I can get. Blaspheme God. She would write John three 16. I'm not kidding you. I'm not proud of this, but this is, I want to tell you the state of where I was at. But uh, I'd write back a New Age saying and say Herman five eleven or something like that. Total blasphemy. Ha, ha, ha. Used to love to chew Christians up, spit them out. Because they were so ill-equipped, they couldn't answer anything. None of it. And you wonder why I preach on this stuff a lot. Because I used to be the guy who used to... Chew up, Christian, because you weren't equipped. So we need to get equipped, amen? Because people out there still have questions. And the answer's there, but it was so easy to chew them up and spit them out, okay? But I'm here, right? Hated Christians, hated Christianity. Next thing you know, I'm a preacher. What happened? It was chicken juice. That's all, you know that's what it was. No, it was a hallucination. I had a hallucination. I did have hallucinations, but that didn't change my heart. It's because Jesus Christ is real, and he really did rise from the dead, and he really does have the same resurrection power to give me and anyone who would come to him a brand new life, a fantastic life, before you even get to him, right? The way our testament, our background, a former enemy, a blasphemer, just like Paul. How does that happen? If this is all not believe, if Jesus is still stuck in the grave, how does that happen? It doesn't happen. The resurrection does that. Sean Sellers, I think I might have shared this before, right? You ever have those people that you witnessed to and like maybe it was a a me? Because boy, people wanted to give up on me. I think some did. Think they will never get saved. Sean Sellers, he uh, he started out as your typical teenager, America, who just wanted to have a little fun, discover what life's all about, right? And so in his search for answers, it didn't take him long to see through the emptiness of the so-called American way of life. Uh, seeking happiness and consumerism and having a positive self-image and indulging in endless, mindless entertainment. It all seemed so futile. So, Sean knew there had to be more to life, but to make matters worse, at this stage, he was desperately looking for answers, but the so-called Christians he ran into were totally stuck up and completely absorbed in themselves. Didn't tell him about Jesus. So, Sean decided he didn't need their God. He was going to be his own God. He decided, true story, to follow Satan. Why? Because doesn't the devil promise that if we listen to him, we can become our own God, have power and significance? And so soon Sean was not only consuming massive amounts of drugs and blaspheming God, uh, he also started drinking his own blood and other people's blood that he carried with him in a small vial for power. Uh, but he felt something was still missing. He, he needed uh, even more power. He needed to uh, have an even more powerful God and become a more powerful God himself. So Sean turned to the last of the Ten Commandments he had yet to break because he was going through every single one and breaking them on purpose, just to. And he turned to the one and says, you shall not murder. Well, the first murder was at a convenience store where he uh, casually walked in and proceeded to blow away the cashier with the 357 Magnum. Next, he came home, uh, whereupon he did some homework, but then he performed a satanic ritual and then proceeded to take his father's revolver, revolver and shot both his parents in the head. Uh, shortly thereafter, his satanic spree came to an end and Sean was arrested and thrown into jail. But as the one true God would have it, two days later, a man came... To the cell next to Sean and gave him a Bible. Uh, before Sean had mutilated Bibles, he burned them, he urinated on them, he poured blood on them. But now, for the first time, for some unknown reason, he decided to read it. And as he did, he came across the Book of Psalms, whereupon an overwhelming sense of flood, uh, guilt flooded his soul, and he realized he had been wrong, and that he realized that Satan had lied to him, and that it was the only one true God, Jesus Christ, who loved him. Certainly not the devil. So on his knees in his jail cell, Sean prayed, Lord, here I am. If you'll take me, I will serve you. And in that moment, God did touch him. Sean began to cry. He knew that the true love was not in the things of this world. True love was not in himself. True love certainly wasn't in trying to be your own God. True love is only found in Jesus Christ. And so on February 4th, 1999, Sean Sellers was executed for his crimes upon man. But simultaneously, pardoned by God, through Jesus Christ, and ushered into heaven. How do you change somebody like that? I mean, that's too far gone, right? I mean, somebody that far? I've never let you get satanic, doing the rituals. They're killing people. They killed his own parents. He says, no way! Uh, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's not a hallucination. It's real. He has the power now to forgive any and all sins, no matter what you've done, and to make you into a new creation in him. One of the most powerful evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is not a hallucination. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? How could you sit there and maintain, oh, it's just a hallucination? It's crazy. Because it's real and it changes lives. And that's what he's talking about on the next page. Paul, uh, Paul let's take a look. Who was this Saul guy? As you can see, once again, Pat Benatar uh, apparently asking us this question. Uh, Saul was an enemy. Your first blank. Turn to somebody and say, I made it. First blank tonight. Woo! We're cruising now. All right, I was excited about it. Uh, Saul was an enemy of the Christian church, and he was there giving his approval when a young Christian named Stephen was stoned to death. And then he set out with extreme passion to exterminate the Christian religion. Here's what we see in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Whoa! I've learned this personally. But I'm convinced that you are never more like Jesus Christ than when you truly, truly mean it from your heart and forgive even people who are stoning you. Stoning you. Not necessarily literally to death. How many of you guys realize that if you got stoned to death yesterday, you wouldn't be here tonight? Thank you, it's so that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you ever get stoned by somebody's words? You ever get stoned by their behavior? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Wow, that's love, right? And that's what he did. Don't hold this against him, God. When he said this, he had fell asleep. In other words, he died. You know he died because what's the next statement? And Saul was there giving his approval to his what? His giant nap. No, his death. And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to what? Destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. I would have been right there, man, me personally. Man, Christians just scourge of society. You guys are so brainwashed. Get rid of you, every last one of you. You guys are the reason why the planet's so messed up. You guys won't go along with the one-world religion. You're a bunch of intolerant bigots, right? And who in the world makes you think that you could tell anybody what to do? That was my mindset. One day, though, Saul decided to go even further, to go to a city of Damascus so that he could arrest Christians. Now he's going to the next level. Not only wants to destroy the church, we're going to throw you in jail. Does that sound like today? You better get close to God. Arrest Christians. Arrest Christians. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing and murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And uh, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. How many of you guys are starting to realize that before Paul got saved, he kind of really didn't like Christians? Yeah, it gets even worse. So Saul wrote this about himself. For, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. You, intensely how I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. He admits it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and extremely uh, zealous for the traditions of my fathers. If, in fact, if anyone thinks he was, has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I got more right circumcised on the eighth day uh, listen listen to all his religious reasons all the, the the things that he was planning on if you will when he died standing before god saying i deserve to get into heaven tell me this doesn't sound like today right with some folks i'm circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of, uh, of israel of the tribe of benjamin a hebrew of hebrews of regards to the law of pharisee as for zeal persecuting the church and as for legalistic righteousness faultless don't you know i mean i'm a good american don't you know I'm a I'm a deacon of the church. I've been baptized. I've been uh, all kinds of stuff. I I went and I took I took Tom's membership class, right? I didn't want to, I even checked off all the right answers, right? I mean, I go to church services I do this I do that and, that and if that's your answer when you stand before God, you're going straight to hell It better be just Jesus and his work on the cross Have you noticed that when it comes to persecution Some of the worst persecutions come from people with this mindset. Religious people. Religious people even in the church. They're not even born again. Wow. Just like Paul. Here he was thinking he was going to heaven, saved, if you will. Lost as a goose. Doing something horrible and detrimental, but blinded. To the truth and blinded to the fact that no, you're actually beaten on, the ones who are on the right path. Isn't that wild? Still happens today, folks. All right? Let's continue on. But what he says? He persecuting the church, right? Wants to destroy it, right? Saul, which was his name in the Hebrew language, later changed to Paul, his Greek name. He became a Christian. Is your blank there? He became a Christian, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Apostolos, one sent forth. Okay, on a commission. An apostle of Jesus Christ and a writer of 13 books in the New Testament. So that really happened. That's verified. That's a verified event. If you're going to, uh, just like you can't deny uh, the ra- veracity of the historical uh, evidence for, uh, that's been recorded for us for the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ, you, it, nobody denies that this is really who Paul was, Saul, before his name got changed and became a Christian. Okay, this is really how this guy was. But you've got to deal with the facts. It wasn't just he got saved, says, and then here comes the persecution, and he says, well, hey, forget this. I'm sorry. I was just following a hallucination. I quit. No. Listen to this. Tertullian, uh, <clears throat> AD 160 to 220 in Carthage, North Africa, reports that Paul was beheaded in Rome because of his Christian faith. Are you going to be beheaded because you saw a hallucination? No. Origin of Alexandria writes that Paul suffered martyrdom in Rome under Nero. He was a Roman citizen, so he was beheaded rather than being burned to death with the thousands of other Christians martyred and killed by Nero. Bishop Eusebius and Caesarea, church history historian, tells that, quote, after defending himself, the apostle was sent again on his ministry of preaching and coming a second time to the same city, suffered martyrdom under Nero. And a Sasquatch here says, what happened to the cause An enemy of Christianity to become a leader and a martyr of the Christian church? How do you explain Paul? Well, I got a theory and it goes like this. Well, I think the resurrection was not a hallucination. I think it was a literal event. And just like Jesus said, that he is the resurrection and the life and that when you come to him and believe in him and his work on the cross, that he'll give you a new life, a new mind, a new creature, and he'll do something fantastic with you. I, I tell people this all the time. Don't ever, ever, ever give up on that person you think will never get saved. Number one, aren't you glad somebody told you about Jesus? Aren't you glad that, I mean, the, uh, that, uh, and who knows what conversation it was? Who knows what seed that they planted was the one that finally God used by his spirit to penetrate your heart? But aren't you glad that it, here came that one seed, and then they got halfway through and says, I'm done with you. Aren't you glad they kept it up? whichever one that was, right? So don't ever give up on somebody, ever. We've talked about this so many times before. How do you know if you need to witness to somebody? Put your hand in front of their mouth, and if you feel air, witness. They're still alive. I mean, you guys realize if there is no air, it's too late. Unless you want to try Bobby's shop-back method, and try to get him, I don't know. That is persistent. I'll give you that. Uh, but Okay, no, so don't give up, right? And don't be turned off by how people act. If we can get that far, we're going to read Acts. Ananias didn't really want to go see Paul because Paul was a bad guy. And don't we do that sometimes? I don't want to witness that guy. I've tried 15 times. In fact, the more I witness to him, the worse it gets. I don't want to talk to that loved one. I'm tired of talking to my family member. They never listen to me. In fact, every time it comes up, it seems like a big, giant argument. Don't quit. If God opens the door, step in the door. Don't quit. How do you know that's not going to be the time when God removes the scales and they get saved on the spot? Don't quit, okay? But anyway, that's just says. So Paul tells us what happened. For I received, here's the answer. How did that happen? For I received what I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he raised on the third day that he appeared to Peter, then to the 12, the 500, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born, Okay. This is what happened to Paul. In fact, turn to there real quickly, Acts chapter 9, and let's take a look at that encounter that Paul had with Jesus. Okay, Acts, okay, the lumberjack book. (laughs) You want me to get on the drums real quick? I need some help. All right, Acts and uh, chapter 9. And uh, let's take a look there. Verses 3 through 22, somewhere around there. We'll take a look. And let's take a look at that encounter. How did Paul get saved? How did it go down? Right? Okay. Acts chapter nine, uh, verse three. As he, Paul, obviously, saw near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who?" You ever? We know as a church that we're called the body of Christ. Do you realize that when people beat on us, who are they really beating? Do you think Jesus likes that? You wonder why he says, no, 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 no. I got this. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You don't need to raise a hand. It's my body. I'll take care of it. Oh, keep witnessing to him, because maybe I'll have him be a portion of my body. But you don't have to worry about it. But isn't that wild? You really think about that? They're really taking it out on Jesus, okay? Where are you, Lord, so i am On Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Uh, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Well, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Now for three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple there, Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, Yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying uh, in a vision, uh, he is praying there. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, I, I've heard many reports about this man and all his harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with uh, authority uh, from the chief priest who arrests all who call on your name. I'd love to go witness this guy. Thank you. Isn't that how sometimes you ever get that prompting from God? And we go, oh, no, not that person. Not them, not them again, or not them. Period. And I love this. Then Ananias, uh, uh, but the Lord said to Ananias, "Notice the uh, the exclamation point there at that word, Tom. Go, right? How do you know? You just deliver the news, newspaper boy, newspaper girl, the gospel, good news. Leave the results with God. If He says deliver it, deliver it, right?" So go, and this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it and placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his Strength, and then later he stays with the disciples for there for a while and things that nature Uh, and then he starts immediately preaching jesus christ and then if you continue to read there and he even goes on to say that man these people are like wait a second isn't this the guy who came here to arrest these what and that was a huge witness to the people around him as well as a proof that this was not an hallucination the resurrection is real look at him this is the former blasphemer, the former persecutor, the destroyer of the church. He literally came here with letters to arrest us, and now he's saying he's with us? Oh, and he's preaching Jesus right out of the gates? What's up with that? I, I don't know if I ever shared before, but my, 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 uh, my dad, uh, many, many years after I got saved, we we're just having some conversation that came up, and we we're talking about my, my uh, I'm the youngest of four, my o- older brother Jim and how he got saved and my dad says well you realize how he got why he got saved don't you because i used to room with my brother and i was rooming with my brother when i got saved and i says well i just i knew that he had gotten saved and became a christian you know about you know six months eight months after i got saved And he says it was you i said what it was you and he never told me you know guys because we're great communicators and we share our inner feelings <laughs> and ladies always forget what we do yeah well and he says, yeah, he said, because, and I did, I lived with him before I got saved and all the blaspheming, hateful, satanic, occult things I was involved in. So he saw that, being a roommate, and then he saw, literally, overnight, a completely different person. And I was just living my Christian life. I'm preaching Jesus Christ. I'm, next thing you know, I'm in Bible college. I'm, I'm starting to be responsible. I don't curse like a sailor anymore. I don't go to the bars. I don't drink. I threw away all my occult stuff. It's like, and he's just watching this. My brother is literally a genius. Very, very intellectual. And God used that to go, wow. This is real. Because only a God who's real could change my little brother like that. Why? Because the resurrection is real. It's not a hallucination. He did it for me. He did it for Sean Sellers. He did it for Paul. In fact, what's interesting is Paul, if you read that, uh, that account there, it goes on to say that then he goes to Jerusalem after they saved his life, they're trying to kill him. And what did they say? Yeah, come on in, Paul. <laughs> you no, know, like, okay, is this a trick? <laughs> Are you really here to sit, right? So he didn't have an easy road, but it was real, okay? Well, let's continue on. This is what he says there, Uh, Paul not only had to convince non-believers, is your blank there, Paul not only had to convince non-believers that he saw the risen Lord, but he also had to convince the apostles, is your next blank there, and the new Christians, okay, convince non-believers, apostles, and new Christians, and he did, okay, and Saul was not the only one changed after seeing the risen Christ, right? And to me, that's one of the biggest evidences that the resurrection is real is what happens after you get saved, right? And your life. And that's why it's important. God says, be ye holy because I am holy. Why? Because we're trying to keep our salvation? No, that's already secure. Because we're trying to impress our Christian neighbor? No, because it's a godly witness, right? Especially if people knew you before when you were unholy in the way you live and now you live holy, it's just like, shines the light, right? Not only that is how you live, but it's also how you react to living in this world. And do you guys notice that still in this world, and Paul experienced that, in fact, God forewarned, you're going to suffer for being a Christian, right? And sometimes some of the greatest evidences that Jesus Christ is real and he really rose again from the dead is watching Christians suffer. Because the supernatural power of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, gives us the ability to do that which is abnormal, Let me give you two examples, and then we'll close. One was uh, in church history, Perpetua. Isn't that exciting? Now, pay attention, guys. You're going to be here for a long time, because once I start this story on Perpetua, it just never ends. (laughs) (laughs) Who's on the drums? Why don't we get up there? All right, let's move on. Uh, The year is 203 AD, and on this day, a noble Christian woman named Perpetua and several of her fellow Christians were condemned to die. What was their crime? Tom, pay attention. Anybody here take a class with Tom for baptism? All one of you, two, praise God. All right. uh, it, this was their crime. They're being sentenced to death because they took a class on baptism. Give it for Tom, the warrior of God, putting up a serious threat. Awesome, okay. Anyway, so we have a little idea what brought her to faith in Christ. This is actually recorded for us in church history. Uh, we don't know how long she was a Christian, uh, but her death speaks volumes. Uh, her father was a pagan, and she was in prison getting ready to be put to death. Uh, he came to prison, pleaded her, uh, to, uh, to give up her Christianity quote and uh, to deny that she was a Christian. She said, Father, do you see this vase here? She pointed to a vase there, apparently. And she said, could it be called any other name than what it is, i.e. a vase? He said, no. He said, well, neither, she said, neither can I be called anything than what I am. I'm a Christian. And what made matters worse is that Perpetua had just given, imagine being a young mom, because she was a young mom. She had just given birth to a new child, and her father came once more with this angle. He says, have pity on my gray head. Have pity on me, your father. Think of your brothers. Think of your mother, your aunt. Think of your child, who will not be able to live once you are gone. Give up your pride. And she was touched, but she remained unshaken and said, it will all happen as God wills. For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. Many people say, Pastor Bill, I don't know what would happen, man, if that you know, we, we start to ex- uh, experience a genuine persecution here in America before the rapture or, you know, if we're still alive and, and all that stuff. I don't know how I'd react, you know, and all that stuff. And, and I just say, hey, listen, if you're a born-again Christian, I think God's going to show up for you. Right? He's going to show up. I think He'll show up for you when you die, if we die before the rapture. It's called dying grace. The thing about dying grace is you don't get it until you need it. I mean, glad that right now you're not needing it. The rest of you will pray for you. Okay? Right, So God will show up, and he did. Right, Listen to this. So when the day of the hearing arrived, her friends were marched before the governor, and uh, they refused to uh, deny Christianity, their, their faith, and uh, acknowledge that they were a Christian. So they proceeded to uh, uh, condemn them to die into the arena. But listen, when they were marched from the prison into the amphitheater, listen to this, they did so joyfully as they were going to heaven with calm faces, listen to this, trembling, not with fear, but with joy. Can you imagine being marched to death? Your death, and it's death by, as you're going to see, eaten alive by wild animals. You can't fake that with a hallucination. Right? So, uh, as they're entering, the, uh, Perpetua and her friends simply declared listen to this, talk about boldness. You think people be crumbling, right? By now. They said, You have condemned us but God will condemn you. Wow. So the crowds roared, uh, roared to see the blood, and they didn't have to wait long. Immediately, a wild heifer charged the group. perpetua was tossed into the air onto her back. She sat up, adjusted her tunic, and walked over to help her friend. Now think of that. Think of the power of that. You literally had a wild bull charge you, came at you, shoved you through the air. You get up, and you go, oh, straighten my clothes. Let's go help my friend. Think of the, uh, what? People be freaking out, clanging, running. Ah! It's wild. Then a leopard was uh, let loose, and it wasn't long before the tunics of Christians were stained with blood, uh, but this was taking too long for the crowd. So Perpetua and her friends were lined up one by one to be brutally murdered. Uh, after facing down several gladiators, being tortured and literally shred apart alive by wild beasts, uh, her friends were given the ultimate victory and ushered into heaven. How do you do do that if the resurrection is a hallucination? And if it didn't happen? As Paul says, this whole thing's a pipe dream. That doesn't happen. That only comes by the power of Christ. Now, as we close, I want to give an example for today. Because I'm convinced that one of the best evidences for the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ is how we live today, and especially how we live in the midst of a suffering world today. Now, we may not, praise God, be getting slashed to pieces and eaten alive by wild animals. How many of you guys can agree? All two of you. Okay. Uh, but we still go through hard times, don't we? This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. How we live in the midst of that is a powerful evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's real. Right? And we'll close with this. Her name's Carla. Carla Larson. True stories. She's a woman in her 30s who is desperate to understand a few reasons why. You ever ask why? Why, God? Why? Why? You thought you had it bad? She's got severe diabetes, and that's the root of it all. Both of her legs are now amputated. She's had a heart attack, a kidney transplant, constant battles with collapsed veins, severe edema, and she's legally blind now. When we first met, I met her at one of our Christian uh, retreats, and I remarked, Carla, I'm amazed you you were able to make it. To which she replied with a grin, I thought I'd better come before I lost any more of my body parts. (laughs) Great sense of humor. How do you fake that with a hallucination? In fact, she recently, true story, mailed me one of her body parts. I opened up a shoebox and I discovered a used prosthetic foot with a note attached, quote, since all of me can't be with you all of the time, I thought part of me would just have to do. (laughs) And we whine because the traffic or French fries are cold. Wow. If Carla is distressed, it's for the comfort of others. If she is suffering, it has a bearing on the salvation of those around her. Maybe it's Christy, her transplant nurse, cool-headed in the operating room, but cold-hearted about spiritual things. Maybe it's the other nurses at the clinic who spend their coffee break whining about all the new regulations. Perhaps her friends of the church whose major problems are menopause or a midlife crisis. Maybe it's the co-workers from her old office or her neighbors down the street or the bag boys at the grocery clerks or who always greet her at the supermarket. When people who face lesser conflicts, like cold french fries and traffic, When they see someone handle greater conflicts, it speaks volumes. They learn something very powerful about God by observing you. Jesus isn't around in the flesh. We know he did rise from the dead. He's not around today physically. He is coming back physically. He's not here yet. But you and I are here. Right? When we suffer and handle it with grace, we're like walking billboards advertising the positive way God works in the life of someone Who suffers? Carla shames the worldly wise who scoff at God. She shames uh, the stiff necked who trust in their own strength. She casts shadows on them and they know it. They can't handle uh, and hold a candle to her gritty, gutsy faith. But that's good because how else is their boasting going to be nullified? How else would they be stripped of confidence in their slim waistlines, their tight abs, flashy photogenic smiles, big brain bucks, and blast plaques on their office walls? Now, Carla may lose another finger. Or another body part. And if she does, the watching world will be forced to swallow its pride and drop its jaw in disbelief at her tenacious trust in God. Listen, here's the final analysis. Here's the witness that she is doing in the midst of this suffering. Logically, either she is mad or there is a living God behind all of her pain who is much more than just a theological axiom. Her life is living proof that he lives, that he's alive and that he works. Amen? The resurrection, no way, not just logically, but in how we live as a Christian. It cannot be a hallucination. It is real. And every day, we get to declare that news just by how we live life. Isn't that awesome? Lord willing, uh, next week, we're going to continue on and some more changed lives, certainly with the Apostles and uh, deal with, uh, hopefully, uh, some more skeptical comments that are just as ludicrous as the hallucination. So, but anyway, that's next week. Let's go ahead and let's Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, Our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bkrone at or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.